Continuing in our study of Isaiah, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13 for this evening. Isaiah 13. God, thank you. Thank you for um, you are that you are the worthy one. You are the holy one. There is none like you, O God, and that we can come on a Wednesday night to lift up our voices together, to be encouraged, strengthened as brothers and sisters, refreshed by the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, what a joy. Father, I just ask that you would guide us through this time tonight. Help us to study your word. Help us to consider where we are, where our walk is with you, Lord, and, and in whose kingdom we are in, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would be have all of our chips into the kingdom of God. I pray that we would be all in for you, Lord, for you're worthy of all of our lives. We love you. We offer you this time. I do pray you'd help me rightly divide your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, chapter 13, as we get into chapter 13, and all the way through chapter 23, Isaiah kind of takes a turn uh, and focuses not so much on Israel anymore, Judah specifically, or the city of Jerusalem, uh, or the people of Judah, but it, it now is going to focus for these 10 chapters on the nations around Israel. And Isaiah has a word for those nations as well. God, God's cleaning house in the, in the nation of Judah but that, he's not ending there. It's not like he set up a border patrol around the nation and, and is not touching the rest of the world. We're going to see as we go from Babylon all the way to Tyre, moving westward as Isaiah speaks, uh, that God has judgment for all of them because while well, God disciplines those whom he loves and he chastises you and I as followers of Christ, God judges those who don't love him. And, and so he will stand against that and, and recognize uh, when a heart is not given to him. And what this is going to show us as he pronounces judgment, judgments that have been and will be fulfilled, prophecies to be given, it shows us that God is completely sovereign. Yes, Israel is the, is the apple of God's eye. Yes, Israel is God's chosen people. But God is sovereign over all peoples. God is in control of all things. I said this last week, and I just want us to hear it again. It's important for us to remember, especially as we consider the state of our world, hear this, history is headed toward God's appointed end. We are, God has not lost control of this planet. God has not for, suddenly forgotten how things roll. And, and, and he is orchestrating, he is the master conductor, and he is still, uh, history is still headed toward the plan that he has. And that's what we need to remember, especially as we go through these chapters. So it says in Isaiah 13, uh, verse 1, the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw. Amos probably. So notice what he says here in, in regards to this prophecy, in regards to this vision. Isaiah calls it a burden. <laughs> burdens, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for any. You're probably not either. Burdens generally aren't a good thing to be burdened with something. But Isaiah's release from this burden is when he gives the prophecy. When, when he declares it and it's written down, he's released from the burden. The burden that 
Isaiah has is that he's carrying this message from God. Jeremiah would say, the message of God burns in my heart. I have to speak it out. And that's, that's what Isaiah is saying. I'm burdened by this message, so I have to share it. It doesn't mean that the people he's going to speak against, in this case Babylon, are going to heed the prophecy they're going to, they're going to care. And, and that's, not, that's neither here nor there to Isaiah. Isaiah's burden is released when he declares the prophecy. You can lead a horse to water, right? You can't make him drink. It's up, to them. it's up to the people that are receiving this. And this burden is against, against Babylon. This is interesting because as Isaiah gives this, Babylon isn't even a power. They're still a tribal nation. They're, they're not even really joined together to be any kind of force whatsoever. This is about a, a hundred years before Babylon even begins to rise. And it's going to speak of the fall of Babylon. So he's telling the fall of Babylon before Babylon even rises and gets it accurate. Now, for you and I, this one's important that we would take note of these things. Babylon is a buzzword in Christianity. We always want to pay attention when Babylon is mentioned, and it's noteworthy probably because of its mention in Revelation, specifically Revelation chapters 17 and 18, because it's speaking of a a type of system. Part of this prophecy that's going to be given speaks of the empire of Babylon that is in our past. It, it speaks of the, the rise and fall of the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar beginning in 606 BC. But part of this prophecy is going to refer to the Babylonian system. The, let's call it the system of this world. You can, almost, you can almost lay out the Bible in a tale of two cities. The, the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion, and the city of Babylon. And, and there's two camps, if you would, the, the, the system of this world or the system of God. And so um, we, the, the, the difficulty in these chapters is figuring out what part of it is referring to the Babylonian empire, empire that's in our past and the Babylonian system that will be taken down yet to be in our future. Um, and there's some speculation on that, but we'll do our best. So it says in verse 2, lift up a banner. On the high mountain, this is speaking against Babylon. Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. Now we're going to see the nation that's going to rise up against Babylon. God tells us specifically in verse 17 that it's the banner of the Medes that will be lifted up. And we know the Medes and the Persians got together and they became the empire that took out Babylon. And so this is God prophesying that. Uh, We see that fulfilled in Daniel. But what's interesting is, as Isaiah receives this and says it's going to be the Medes, the Medes aren't even a blip on the map at this point. (laughs) They're like, the who's? You know, it's, it's a practically non-existent tribe at this point. So Babylon's not is just will be on the rise in the next hundred years. Media is just way out there. It's not even a blip on the map. He says, I've commanded my sanctified ones. I've also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. What we need to understand is 
God can use any kingdom for His purposes. Be it the Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians. Well, He used the Assyrians to take care of Judah. That's kind of what the book of Isaiah is about. The Assyrians are going to come and thump Judah and kind of spank them. And after that, he, God uses Babylon to give the land its rest. And the, that's when the, the Israelites go into captivity. He's going to use the Medes and the Persians to upend the Babylonians. And then he's going to call the Greeks up. And then he's going to have them go by the wayside when Alexander the Great falls off the deep end. And then the Romans are going to rise to, to power. All part of God's plan. God can use any kingdom for his purposes. It says in verse 4, the noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of kingdoms and of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. It's almost like the prophecy here kind of takes a shift and you you maybe bounce from when the Medes and the Persians are going to take over the Babylonians to the Babylonian system at the end days and how the nations, it says there in verse 4, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations are going to gather together in those last days and try to defeat God by going to war with God. Doesn't that just sound preposterous? (laughs) I'm going to take my M16, I'm going to take my AR-24, I'm going to take my tank, my ballistic missile, my weapons of mass destruction, whatever it is, I'm going to take all of my armor, armory and go against God. How's that going to go? Now you and I know how it's going to go. God's going to win the battle with just a word. But that's perhaps what, what he's, he's alluding to in verse 4. It says in verse 5, they come from a far country, from the end of heaven. All, all the nations will stand against God, it's, it says. The Lord and His weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And that's an important phrase. It will come as, as destruction from the Almighty. When we read of the day of the Lord, it's always referring to the last days, the days when, and it's not one 24-hour period, the day of the Lord is after the the time of the church. It's the millennial reign that we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of Isaiah. It says in verse (laughs) 7, Therefore all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Why? Because of verse 6, the destruction coming from the Almighty. They're going to be paralyzed with fear in the midst of this battle. I don't know about you. I'm pretty glad I'm not going to be around. I believe that the church will be removed at this point, that we will be with the Holy Spirit. We will be with God. And and this will be God taking on those that have made a stand against Him. And they're going to be afraid. Every man's heart will melt, it says in verse 7. That reminded me of when the Assyrians took over Babylon... In Daniel chapter 5, remember the writing on the wall? Uh, the, the, the hand just suddenly appears in the middle of the big party that's going on, and the king um, has trouble with it. It says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, In the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the walls of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, 
And then the king's countenance changed, and hear this, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. <laughs> this is the king. The king of the Babylonian empire sees the writing on the wall, as it were, where we get that phrase from, that tonight his life was going to be required of him. And in fact, it was as the Assyrians were marching under the wall, and so much so that his, the king, new King James would say the joints of his hips were loosened. It's a nice way of saying he needed a change of pants. <laughs> and that his knees were knocking together. That kind of fear when you stand against God, is what you have. It says in verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. The day of the Lord comes. What a, an interesting description. Cruel, full of wrath and fierce anger. It's not a God I know because of Jesus Christ. But how deep is His love for us? How vast beyond all measure we sing because of the, what we've experienced in Christ. But for those who would take their stand and reject what Christ has offered, it is the wrath of God that is saved for them and it will be strong. Fierce anger will lay against them. Jesus quotes these verses in the Olivet Discourse, which is after the near fulfillment, Babylon falling, and before the far fulfillment, the Babylonian system falling. Notice it says there in verse 9, the day of the Lord comes to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. God is destroying those sinners, those that would stand against Him. He's not destroying the church. He's not destroying the Jews. Always a, a place in God's heart for those, the church and the nation of Israel. In 11 it says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked, wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Don't worry. God has it under control. There is a day coming when justice will be served. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, it says there in the middle of the verse. and that Reminds me of C.S. Lewis who says, pride is at the root of all sin. We boil any sin down, any, any stand we make against God, be it gluttony or sexual immorality, it all boils down to pride. In verse 12, it says, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Well, that doesn't help us a whole lot unless you happen to know what the golden wedge of Ophir is. But the point being, obviously, a very valuable piece. And we need to remember the purpose of judgment, that God gives judgment, is for the, the, the purpose of refining. And those that would humble themselves under the judgment of God, those that would submit themselves to that, they're going to come out of it refined. 
They're going to come out of it more pure than the best of golds. This, it will work its course if you allow it to, but what we read in verse 11 just before that is because of the arrogance of man, he's going to feel the full effect. Look at 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place. That's a scary thought. We're in a pretty set orbit. And God is, the judgment of God is going to be so strong that it's going to move earth out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. This sifting is going to be so strong that the earth is going to move. It's going to change the orbit. Perhaps it's going to change the tilt of the the axis. You know, we're on a tilt now. That's what gives us our seasons. Imagine if God just suddenly upended everything and made it all right again. There'd be no seasons anymore. It's because of the tilt that we get our seasons. It's possible that as he moves and changes the orbit, we'd have to change our calendar. Go back to a 360-day year as he bumps us, I don't know, 100,000 miles, changes our orbit, whatever it is. Pretty, pretty intense. Uh, verse 14, It shall be as the hunted gazelle, and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people, and everyone will flee to his own land. This is going to be so catastrophic that, that people aren't going to know what to do. They're going to be like a hunted gazelle, just not, not caring where it's going, bouncing from place to place, not, not just running away. So much so frightening that people are going to turn to their own people. And that's what we do in times of chaos, don't we? Right? What did you do in the hours after 9-11? And as, as Tuesday happened, as your day unfolded, as the chaos ensued, what did you do? You called your family. Is everybody all right? Did you see what's happening? You got in a familiar place. You, you, you got comfortable again. And that's what we do in the midst of chaos. And that's what the response will be when God levels His judgment as well. Everyone who is found will be thrust through. Oh boy. And everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. This is not just the Medes and the Persians doing a a political overthrow of the nation of Babylon. This isn't just a purely political move. This is a complete and utter destruction of the people of Babylon. And so much so that it's going to impact every life. Children will be dashed against the rocks. Their wives will be taken advantage of and taken into captivity as the Medes. It says in 17, I will stir up the Medes against them who do not regard silver. And as for gold, they will not delight in it. And we see that fulfilled in Daniel chapter 5. Also their bows will dash the young men to pieces and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not spare children. It's almost like they're savages, but yet they're savages in the plan and in the hand of God. Babylon, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Babylon was in its prime probably the most powerful empire ever. 
Certainly, King Nebuchadnezzar probably would be the most powerful man, uh, had the most authority. The, the kingdoms that came after it, the, the power was somewhat dispersed. But it's, it was the glory of kingdoms. The ancient Babylon is one of the ancient wonders of the world, right? The seven wonders of the ancient world. The hanging gardens, the, te- the technology that they had for those days, it was a beauty to behold. The Chaldeans' pride, it says. And God says, it's going to be overthrown. I'm going to use the Medes and the Persians to... And it's going to be so strongly overthrown that it will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah today. Where is Sodom and Gomorrah today? There's a a lot of people trying to guess that. Some would even say Sodom and Gomorrah today is at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Completely uninhabitable because it's underwater. And that's the point being here is that When God overthrows the Babylonian kingdom, it will be completely and utterly destroyed. Well, what's going on in Babylon today? 2015. They're they're actually trying to rebuild it. That was one of Saddam Hussein's big plans before he was killed. It was to rebuild Babylon. So I don't know that we've seen the fulfillment of this prophecy yet, because Babylon, or the system of Babylon, will be completely and utterly destroyed when Christ brings in His kingdom. The system of this world will be destroyed. It says in 20, it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls, Ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels, and jackals in their pleasant places, palaces. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. So when Babylon is overthrown, it's going to be a land that's good for nothing. (laughs) That's the idea. It's a place for owls to hang out. So now... Looking at chapter 14, we're going to see Israel in the midst of this Babylon, the, the, the prophecy against Babylon. So verse 1 of 14 says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. <clears throat> the stranger will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob. What an interesting phrase, the stranger will be joined with them. It will be in those last days that the church and the nation of Israel will be together in the kingdom of God. The Lord will have mercy on Jacob and still choose Israel. Do you hear that? He's still choosing Israel. Hear the love of God. Even when our headlines are going to read that the the nations stand against Israel, God will forever choose Israel. A remnant will always be preserved That's the Lord working in His mercy. The Lord will have mercy on Jacob, it says. Then the people will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They will take them captive, whose whose captives they were, and rule over their oppressors. So Babylon took them captive, and the table will be turned. It shall come to pass, it says in 3, In the day 
The Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. That will be the song we will sing when Babylon falls. The Lord, when we give our hearts to Christ, when we declare that we are part of his kingdom, the Lord brings us out of the Babylonian system. The Lord takes us out of Babylon and puts us in his kingdom. And hear what it says there to those who come out of Babylon. It shall come to pass in the day the, day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve. When we give our lives to Christ, consider what Christ said in Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we step out of the Babylonian system and into the kingdom of God, we take off the the bondage, the yoke of, um, that we, in which we were made to serve, this hard bondage, it says in verse 3, and we put on the yoke of Christ, a, a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light, and it, our song will be how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city has ceased, when we turn from the ways of this world and turn toward the kingdom of God. In verse 5, it says, The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, he who struck the people in wrath and with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. Through Christ, through the work of Christ, the Babylonian system, the world system is going to no longer have its authority over us. The staff is broken, it says in verse 5. When we step out of the worldly system and into the kingdom of Christ, the, you know, the, the staff of the wicked is broken by the Lord and the scepter of the rulers is set aside. Look at verse 7. What a beautiful picture. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. There's peace when the kingdom of God rules and reigns. There's peace when the ruler of Babylon is contained. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. This is speaking against the ruler of Babylon. Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you. (laughs) Wow! to meet you. They, hell itself has said, bring, the king, bring us the king of Babylon. They, they want to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? So hell, the, when Babylon falls, when the system falls, when the king of Babylon falls, and we're going to see that, Isaiah is going to liken that to Satan very quickly here, Lucifer, when, when the Babylonian system falls, the, 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 the courts of hell, the people of hell are going to say, wow, you're as weak as we are. You didn't, even you didn't stand a chance against God. Have you become like us? Verse 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol. That's the grave. And the sound of your stringed instruments. Look at this. The maggot is spread under you and the worms 
cover you. That's the king's reception. <laughs> How's that sound? Maggots under you, worms over you. Jesus poses the question in Matthew 16. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? King of Babylon, the most powerful man ever. If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Those that stand against God have so little to look forward to. A bed of maggots and worms. So now he's going to draw the parallel. Verse 12. How far, or sorry, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Do you, did you catch a phrase that was repeated as this Lucifer is speaking in his heart? I will. I will. Five times in those verses. I will. He's pitting his own will against God's. And he's pitting the Babylonian kingdom against God's kingdom. How's that going to go? Well, we see the result. Verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of prisoners. All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden under, underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land and slain your people, the brood of evildoers shall never be named. There's no question who's in charge. Is there? I mean, the world would try to say that God and Satan are opposing, equal opposing forces. That's not the case at all. This is no battle. Satan just loses. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even it's not a, a war of good and evil. God's already won the war. He defeated sin and death at the cross. Good won. It's just Satan falling. There is no question. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our minds. I love the I, I wish I knew who said it, but. We don't, as Christians, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It's already done. The battle's over. Satan's already defeated. Christ is already the victor. Now he's going to speak to the sons of hell. Verse 21, prepare slaughter for his children 
because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and offspring and posterity, says the Lord. Consider that. He's, as he's speaking of Judah, there is always a remnant. And that remnant will never be cut off. But for the system of this world, for the Babylonian empire, it will be completely and utterly destroyed. No remnant, no offspring, no posterity. Judah will have a remnant because God is merciful. Babylon will not because God is just. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. Sounds like a place you'd want to visit, right? I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. God is cleaning house. I'm getting the broom out. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have sought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed it, so it shall stand. What a great verse. I'd put a star by that if I were you. The Lord of hosts have sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. Whatever the Lord puts his mind to, that plan is never thwarted. Whatever he purposes, it stands. There is no question. God is in control. Verse 25, That I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountain tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Who can stand against God? Who can stand against him? No one is the answer. In case you were questioning, let me help you out. No one can stand against God. And think about it this way, Christian. That's a comforting thought. No one can stand against God. And for those of us that are in Christ, Jesus who says, you're mine, what's going to stand against that? Jesus has purposed in his heart to love you and I. There's nothing that will stand against it. There's no, no thing that will separate us from the love of Christ. How, how comforting a thought that God's plan cannot be thwarted. There's nothing even I can do that would pull me out of His love, that He would pull back His love from me. Now, what does that mean? That I should go on sinning that grace may abound? No. No. And when I see that love, when, I'm, when the, the comfort that I get from knowing that God will not... His plan will not be thwarted. My response then is to say, let me love you even more. Let me leverage more of my life for you. Nothing comes against us because God has said, I bought them with a price. That's comforting. Now he's going to turn his attention at the end of the chapter here to the Philistines. It says in 28, this is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died. Remember, this is ten nations that he's speaking against. This will be the, the second one. It says in verse 29, Do not rejoice, all of you Philistia, that would be the Philistines, because the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a flying 
serpent. This is, now he's speaking to a nation that's already been defeated. The Philistines have already fallen, and he's warning them, hey, Philistia, don't celebrate when you see Judah fall. When, when Babylon rises up, when the Assyrians rise up and spank Judah, it's not your place. Don't rejoice because the rod that struck you, that would be Judah, is broken. He warns them not to celebrate at the fate of Judah. The firstborn of the poor will feed, and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine, and it will slay your remnant. Wail, O gate, cry, O city. All of you, Philistia, are dissolved, for smoke will come from the north, and no one will be alone in his appointed times. What, they will, what, what will they answer, the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. And just kind of to close up the chapter, the, the writer Isaiah brings it back to the idea of these tale, the tale of two cities, Babylon versus Jerusalem, or as he says there in 32, Zion. Zion is Jerusalem when God is reigning, when God is on his throne, that thousand year reign. The poor of his people, that's me and you, will take refuge in it. The Lord has founded Zion. We find our refuge in him. We find our peace in him because he's merciful to those who love him. and He judges those who have chosen not to love him. Amen? Both just and mercy depends on where you stand. Right now, I'm grateful that Jesus said, Chris, I bought you with a price. You're not your own. You, you, you stand in the, the kingdom of heaven as a redeemed saint, not based on anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And we're going to hear, welcome into... Your king, the, uh, welcome into my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. What a joyful thought that is to enter into his rest. The Lord's in control. We can trust him in that. Amen? Let's stand, let's close in prayer. As we get into these, uh, in between now and chapter 40, we'll probably start taking it at a pretty good clip, uh, maybe even doing four or five chapters a night. So just be prepared to move. Uh, over the next few weeks. So, all right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. That the rod which was meant for our back, Lord, you took on your back. That the stripes that were meant to rip open our flesh, Lord, tore open the Son of Mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that while you endured punishment and pain and suffering from the people of this world being nailed to a cross, the greater pain and the greater suffering was that you absorbed the wrath of God that I deserve. And Lord, you defeated Jesus. You defeated sin and death. You resurrected to life, making you the king of all kings, the name above all names. We bow down our hearts before you in worship and adoration. I pray that as we've taken this yoke upon us for those that are saved, this, 
yoke that is easy and this burden that is light. We've moved out of the Babylonian system into the kingdom of God. I pray, Father, that our lives would be stamped with the seal that we are of the kingdom of God, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we've laid our lives down in service of our King. For we love you, Lord, as we're about to sing now. I pray that our lives would show it. In Jesus' name, amen.